well, I wish I could bark like a dog or something cool. Like, <laughs> bark, bark away. I was hearing her in a porno film barking like a dog. Oh. I <laughs> got all these images. I'm going to go search the internet. Okay. Hi. Hi. Hello. We are already having fun with our really special guest today. I'm so excited about this, Julie. I, mean, I know. I want to introduce him because you've known him forever. By the way, we are a couple of Dusty Muffins, and I'm Penny Legate. And I'm Julie Blacklow with my longtime, wonderful, amazing friend, the expert in all things dogs, David Fry is with Yay! us today. Yay! Hi. David Fry. You know him from the Westminster Kennel Club Dog Show and from the National Dog Show. And this man has done everything dogs, breeding, yeah. judging. David Fry, welcome to Dusty Muffins. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. I, of course, loved you ladies from afar for way too long. And it's good to get up close and personal voice. now. Okay, so that voice. I know that people who are listening right now are going, I know that voice. That voice. Why, that voice. Yes. It talks about the something Spaniel and the Couton Voudor. <laughs> those names that you say so beautifully of all the different dogs. Uh, Do give one for us. Give us one. Give us one of those pronunciations of the most difficult dog breed. Yeah. The Xolo Squintly oh. from Mexico. You know, one year at Westminster, we had the Petit Basset Griffon Vendéon. Whoa. Whoa. The French breed. And uh, we call it the PBGV most of the time. But I <laughs> but I made it a point to say, this is the Petit Basset Griffon Vendéon. And it paused and it says, Mrs. Bach, my high school French teacher, would be so proud of me. <laughs> oh, and dear. so that was like 30 or 40 years before then, of course. And <laughs> and I'll be darned if the next day on my Facebook page, I don't have a, a pop from Mrs. Bach saying, Dali, comment allez-vous. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh, my God, David. The way he says them, they're, they're beautiful. beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I, I, <laughs> David, I don't even know where to start with you. Uh, so I'll start with a, a really stupid, inane first question. Why dogs and you? <laughs> How did that all start with you? Oh, I blame it on a woman. Actually, of course, <laughs> of course you life, do. Yeah, good, bad, or otherwise. <laughs> actually, I never. We never had a dog in our family growing up. Wow. It it's amazes me to think that I'm the dog guy. For God's sake, I was moving into my own house in college for the first time, and my high school girlfriend, who was then in college, said, "Let's get a dog." I said, oh, yeah, I'm a 20-year-old guy. I'm going to do whatever the girl says because it's there's got to be some something in it for me somewhere. <laughs> and uh, I said, okay, what kind? And she says, how about an Afghan hound? I said, I don't even know what that is, but okay. <laughs> and so we got the dog, and three weeks later, the girl left, and the dog stayed, and it was the best thing that could have happened to all three of us. And that's how it started. And <laughs> from then, I'm walking around in the streets of Eugene, Oregon with this odd-looking dog that nobody knows what it is. But occasionally, as happens everywhere in this world, somebody says, hey, I know somebody who has an Afghan hound. Um, I'll introduce you to them. And that led me into meeting other people and got me a little bit uh, dabbling into dog shows. Went into the Army, went to Walter Reed, hooked up with a famous Afghan hound person back in Washington, D.C., who took us in like we we were family and uh, got me in, involved in dog shows and eventually lined me up with my wife, Sandy. When I moved back to Seattle, we came back to Seattle. That's when we jumped into the dogs. She and her mother were already into it pretty much. Mm -hmm. And we jumped into it full speed. And that's when we came up with 
the top winning female in the history of the breed in Afghanistan. Oh, wow. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, it was amazing. We, I mean, we had great success. We were very competitive together. And that's then how traveling around showing her, putting this great record on her. That's when I met the Westminster Kennel Club people who were at other dog shows. And Chet Collier, I think Julie knows Chet. Yeah. Penny, yeah. you probably do too. He was the senior executive VP at Fox News, came in with Roger Ailes and, and built the network. But he was also president of the Westminster Kennel Club. And he said, hey, I've heard that you used to work for the Denver Broncos and PR. And I said, well, I did. He said, well, how about doing our television? I I was a PR guy. I was around all these great people in the media, but I was not an on-air guy. He says, come on, let's take a shot at it. And I said, well, I kind of think I might be able to do it. And what year was that, David? That was 1990. That's when Westminster started for you. That's when it started for me. And and at the time I was commuting from Seattle each year to do the dog show on television. We had a great time and and it went very well. But I said to Chet, you know, I'm not a technical guy. I'm not going to be able to tell you about neck sets and pasterns and and things like that on every breed of dog. There are other people out there that can do that. And he said, we know we've had them, but that's not what our show is about. 98% of our audience has never been to a dog show and probably will never go to a dog show. They want to hear about dogs. And I said, well, my goal would be to show people that we are real people with real dogs, that we're not unlike you or your dog, and come along, see what you can learn from us here. And maybe you get involved in the sport or maybe you get involved in dogs in some other way. Obviously, it worked quite well. And, and you never look back, really. Never look back. I've been to some of those dog shows and they're really kind of crazy. <laughs> in fact, I was with you at Westminster, what, 15 years ago? But we were together at Westminster and you and I were shooting a pilot for USA Network when Christopher Guest and the producers of Best in Show were there (laughs) doing prep work for their movie. (laughs) Now, there's two things I want to talk about here. The crazy behind the scenes stuff, the effect that Best in Show, that amazing movie, had on Dog World. Well, it is chaos. First of all, the dog show itself. I mean, we have over 2000 dogs in Madison Square Garden, the world's greatest sporting arena. It's been in Madison Square Garden virtually its entire life. And it's a great part of New York history, New York legacy that it has, you know, really puts it in its place. So we had a lot of fun with that part of it. I, when I first got there, I met the woman who was the PR person for the Empire State Building. And I said, hey, Lydia, what's it take to light your tower in my club colors during the dog show? She says, well, you're talking to the person that it takes to do that. And I I said, well, let's do it. She says, you got it. So ever since then, that was about 1992 or three. Ever since then, the tower, the Empire State Building was lit in purple and has been lit in purple and gold in honor of Westminster. It is the oldest, what, sporting event in the United States? The Westminster, or the second? Second oldest continuously held sporting event in America. That's amazing. That is. It is amazing. And now the PR phrases that just sort of fall out of my mouth automatically but but you know i've been gone from westminster for six years so i'm I'm starting to dilute those with things about the kennel club of philadelphia and the national dog show right that's what we just saw you at thanksgiving and you've been doing Mm -hmm. that with the same panache that you did westminster 21 years amazing 21 years with the same partner john o'hurley so that's unheard of in our world in our television world of course right right and we've had an audience we started out the very first year we had 10 million people watching us And ever since, it's continued to grow every year and and is holding steady at 25 million viewers, which is unheard of. That just shows you what dogs mean. 
to us. And I think, you know, well, we can talk about COVID and how a lot of people who never had dogs got dogs and the shelters emptied out, which is wonderful. And now they're <laughs> filling up again, sadly. Right. I, but uh, not, not quite as badly as they thought they might, though. Oh, good. I wrote a story about that for Pet Age magazine here this year, talking about the pandemic puppy. Mm-hmm. What's going to become of them? And I said, it's important for us all to think about, you know, it was nice we brought the dogs home and the cats, the 25 million dogs and cats found new homes during the last two years. Well, that's great. It is great. And some of them did find their way back to the shelters, unfortunately, but not as many as people predicted. And we were always talking, I mean, the people in the purebred dog world, not to set us aside from anybody else, but we know how to take care of dogs and we know what you're watching out for. We know how to help counsel people when they're having an issue. When somebody got an Afghan hound from me, they they didn't just get my dog, they got me. Right. And, And I said, if you ever have some problem where the Afghan hound does something that you can't figure out, Call me because I'm part of the deal. How many breeds of dogs are there now? There's always a new one every year. 212 breeds and varieties. How many say again? 212 breeds and varieties. What that means is we have three Cocker Spaniels. Cockers are divided into three different varieties. They show them separately. Right. That's not true of every breed, but like with poodles, you get a standard poodle, miniature poodle, and a toy poodle. It's like, you know, Venti, Grande, and (laughs) Tall. The Starbucks variety. In our world here in Seattle, of course. So anyway, there's 200 different breeds and 212 different breeds and varieties. But yeah, there's a lot of them. And it's funny, in the last, we figured out in the last 20 years of doing uh, the National Dog Show, um, they, the, the American Kennel Club has added 50 new breeds in that yes, time. Yes, I know wow. that there are lots of new. So um, the different breeds obviously originated for different purposes, for herding and protection and, and those kinds of things. I, I read the other day, David, where I think descending from the wolf, all dogs came from wolves, that these new breeds, this 212 varieties, are relatively new in the evolution of the relationship people have had with, with dogs. Is that right? Well, some of them are, but some of them, we call them new breeds when the AKC finally gets around to recognizing them in this country because there's finally enough of them here. They have a geographic distribution. They don't all live on some farm down in Georgia. And they have a parent club that watches over them and and takes care of them. Mm -hmm. So some of them have been around for hundreds or even thousands of years. It's just now they're getting to this country finally. So when they come in as new breeds, we call them new breeds and they, they're, it's a big kick to everybody. But in their native countries, they've been there for years and people would see them and go ho-hum. You know, it's a dog I see every day. Here with all these breeds and varieties, you come to our dog show. It's not like walking, taking a walk in the dog park. No, uh, you no. see a lot of dogs you never see. I, I will never forget the background of uh, Westminster. What was going on behind the scenes? Oh, so Julie, you because... got to go in there and watch them. All oh, yeah, yeah. yeah because I because... knew the guy was in charge of the credentials. I let her in. So. Oh, we were producing a pilot for uh-huh. television with David. I That's how know I got about back that. there. It, it's crazed at Westminster. I mean, the whole setup. It's everybody and their dogs, of course, going full speed. And it's a benched dog show, Bench, so which people, means the it's public built can for go spectators. Back. Yeah. The public comes and can walk through the areas where the dogs are being groomed and set up. It's astonishing. The dogs are all in a certain position. You can go to benching area 18A and find all the beagles sitting up there together. <laughs> oh, my and, God. And not only the beagles, but the beagle people. <laughs> you can run backstage and you can hug them and hang out with them. It's not like Geno Smith or, or somebody like that. Or you can't run back and hug those guys, but you no. can our competitors. And oh, 
And, and of course, people have their own dogs and it's it's a nice way. So are there certain types of breeds that have certain type of owners? I mean, do the traits like a, <laughs> yeah, like a greyhound owner, you know, are they lean and well, mean and like, fast? Um, I, mean, I don't know. There was a study done in, in uh, the UK a number of years ago that said that herding dogs have the most agreeable owners with them. Yes. Um, they're the most intense. The toy dogs, for example, have people who are very relaxed and used to having the dog sit on their lap, Mm -hmm. whereas the herding dog people have to be running out. Their dogs have to be running, so that means they have to be running, too. Uh So, yeah, a a breed is often a reflection of your personality and your temperament and and your lifestyle. And I think that's what we try to counsel everybody when you're getting a dog. Make sure that you get a dog that matches your lifestyle for your family or or else you're going to be disappointed when that dog grows up and it turns into something that you weren't mm-hmm. told about or you underestimated, those are the dogs that end up back in the shelters. So yeah. that's why it's so important to go about it the right way in the beginning. You know, this little four pound ball of fluff, <laughs> it, it might look like a Pomeranian, but it's going to grow up to be an Akita. <laughs> you know, if you aren't ready for an 85 pound serious dog, right? And you're thinking you're going to get a 20 pound dog. This is the argument that we have with people who talk about the new designer breeds. You know, the Labradoodles and yeah. and things like that. that yeah, Labradoodles, Bernadoodles. The great thing about purebred dogs is their predictability. Mm-hmm. I know that this little two-pound ball of fluff that's a Pomeranian puppy is going to grow up to be a six-pound ball of fluff. Mm-hmm. And I know that if it's a two-pound ball of fluff that's an Akita puppy, it's going to grow up to be something different. And when they get too big for you, usually it's a size thing. Or they get too big for you, they get too rowdy for you, or you can't control their temperament and their personalities then again, those are the dogs that we give up on and end up going back to shelters. And and we don't want that to happen. So we try to head that off at the beginning and make sure when somebody comes to me once uh, with Afghans, when I was breeding Afghans, people would come to me and, and talk to me about an Afghan. I spend as much time trying to talk them out of it as I do trying to talk them into mm-hmm. it. Yeah, it's right. not about with responsible breeders. We call ourselves now heritage breeders. We want to keep our breeds alive. There's a number mm. of breeds that might be subject to extinction coming up here. And, mm. and we're concerned about that. But but I want to make sure they get into a good home. Such as what what breeds are becoming? Otterhound. Otterhound's a big hairy dog that's got an oily coat and they hunt otters in the water. And that's their, their origins are in the UK. Uh, now otter hunting with dogs is illegal. So now the otter hound doesn't have a job to do. Right. And they're, they're a lot of dog for people. And so suddenly they don't have any work to do. But that's true of, of a lot of breeds. They were bred for a purpose, most of them, most all of them, including sitting on your lap. And nowadays they don't get to do the job that they were bred to do. They still have the personality and the temperament to do those things. But Jesus, do we really need terriers to go chasing rats out of our kitchen these days? No, I don't mm. think we do. We got the Orkin man. You know, do we need do we need all these hunting dogs to help us bring food home and put on the table? No, we even Amazon delivers food these days. We don't have to worry about that kind of stuff. Right. Rottweilers used to drive the cattle to market and we don't have to do that anymore. They got ATVs chase the cattle around. So So what's the um, answer there? We have to find an activity for them to do. Yeah. Yeah. And we have those. The AKC has all kinds of activities like that that Mm. simulate what they were bred to do. That takes effort, you know, for a lot of these dogs that need the stimulation and the exercise and those kinds of Mm. things. The ones that aren't just little lap dogs, you have to work hard. We have a couple of shepherds. I've never owned shepherds. I always had little dogs, little muffinton dogs from the shelters. (laughs) But now we've got two Belgian shepherds and they are herding dogs and they have to do stuff, right? Mm. We have to stimulate them with tricks 
and chasing things and grabbing things. Otherwise, I can see they get kind of anxious and grouchy. And But that takes a lot of work on the owner's part. Yeah. Keep you know, you're absolutely the right. They've got to have a job to do. Yeah. And you've got to be able to keep up with them. You've got to be smarter than your dog. And you've got to be the alpha well, dog. That's never going to happen, honey. No, I'm never going to be smarter than any dog I've ever met. <laughs> Once again, let's remind you that we're talking with David Fry, who is one of the most recognizable people in the whole world when you talk about purebred dogs. I remember at Westminster, the year I was there with you, and the little Papillon one. Kirby. Kirby, right. And I remember you said something to the national audience that I will never forget. And this leads me into my long-winded question. You said after the Papillon won, after Kirby won, you said all the dogs, you know, were great. You know, all the final best in breed were there. But you said that dog showed and you got to show. It's a dog show. A dog show. And so that really struck me because I've often wondered, do the dogs know they're in the arena do they have a sense of purpose? Because the God knows the owners and breeders are, you know, lusting after the ribbons with love. I mean, they love these animals. Yeah. There's no question about that. But do the dogs know that they're there? Well, I believe they do. And especially yeah. at Westminster. I mean, you got 15, 20,000 people sitting in the stands yelling and cheering for you or for another dog in the ring, and you can feel it. I mean, it goes back and forth between the owner and the dog. It goes up and down the lead, as we say. Um, the dog can feel that it's something different. The handler has to take care of that. The handler has to make sure that the dog doesn't get concerned about what's going on around them and rather is just paying attention to the handler, to the owner. And I think that's it. But they know it's something going on. The successful ones do. They're not going to be standing in the ring at the end of the night if they don't. Right. They might be a great dog, but if they don't like what's going on around them and they're a little concerned about it or it's too noisy or whatever. David, um, that, that leads me to this, this question that I've always wondered. It's one thing to be a judge and look at a group of like the herding group or something and try to make distinctions about which dog is the best. But when it comes to like the best in show category and you've got dachshunds and couton boudoirs or whatever you call them. <laughs> that is not. Mrs. Bach. Mrs. Bach. Help <laughs> me with the French here. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, but all these different breeds, you know, everything from a little Moppet, little Pekingese to a Great Dane or something. How in the world do you decide who is best in this motley crew of contenders? Well, the basis of dog shows is that you're judging each dog against the written standard for that breed that describes the ideal specimen of that breed. Right, how, get how that tall part. it should be, mm -hmm. you know, how its legs should look, uh, mm -hmm. what its coat should be like. And most of that, it has to do with form and function and what it was bred to do. Mm -hmm. Some of it doesn't. Some of it's just pretty arbitrary. So I'm judging the Afghan hound in front of me in the ring against the Afghan hound standard. Now, in the breed, it's standing in there with maybe 20 other Afghan hounds. Right. So you can't help but compare them a little bit one to the other. But in the hound group, let's say that the best of breed dachshund goes into the hound group and stands in there with the Irish wolfhound. <laughs> well, you can't be too different than those two breeds, but you're judging them in the same group at that point. And you have to judge the dachshund, you say, is, is as good a dachshund as I've ever seen. And in my mind, we don't use, everybody doesn't use a point system, but in my mind, I might say, I'm going to give it a 95 on my dachshund scale. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to judge the Irish Wolfhound 
And I'm going to say, God, what a great Irish wolfhound. I think it's about a 96 on based on all the Irish wolfhounds that I have and know in my history. So on that day, if you're placing them, the Irish wolfhound is going to place ahead of the docks. And you can't compare them to one another, but that's the whole basis of judging the dog show is on their standards. And is there another element, sort of another factor, the it factor? Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Uno, Uno, my great buddy, the Beagle, won Best in Show in 2008. Remind me who Uno was. Uno oh. was the Beagle one best in show oh, in two thousand and eight. Okay, yes, yes, it was the first yes. Beagle ever to win best in show at Westminster, and the crowd went nuts. Yeah, I thought the crowd was going to come down out of the stands like they do if as if the Knicks had clinched the world championship. And, it was amazing. Um, yeah. Oh, Uno. he comes back to the judge and gives him a roo. You know, <laughs> stands there and looks at him, and the crowd goes nuts. <laughs> and that was Monday night for his group, and then the best in show was Tuesday. And I said to Ben Walker, who was the writer for AP that was covering us, I said, if that dog goes best in show tomorrow night, I'm going to have to rent him. In apartment in new york because we're going to have so much media for him and and sure enough he goes best in show and sure enough he came and lived with me about half the year as we did things like uh, visited the white house the first westminster winner ever to visit the white house wow uh, rode on a float in the macy's parade on the <laughs> oh, no. ground float the united feature syndicate with snoopy in the balloon up above us he threw out the first pitch at two major league baseball games <laughs> And I threw it, but he ran and got it and brought it back to us, which was no small task because beagles are not big fetchers. Uh, but he ran out and got the baseball and brought it back, danced on the roof on the seventh inning stretch. <laughs> okay, so given that he was very popular with the crowd and he was a breed that had never won before, et cetera, then what happened to the golden retriever? <laughs> the year I wanted that golden retriever to win so badly. And he was first runner up, I believe. And I think one of the, you know, those standard poodles with the weird haircut that the pompadour head dress and all the little bobbly boobalies on their legs, you know, yeah, those dogs are beautiful. I haven't taken anything away from those, but man, I wanted that golden to win so badly. So why did not we win that year? The world wants a golden retriever to win at yes, Westminster. And yes. When a golden retriever wins, the uh, I'm sorry to say that they probably will forget about Uno the Beagle. Because, <laughs> no, uh, no, Uno was everybody's no, dog. Uno was America's Uno was yeah. the greatest dog there ever was. The Labs and the Golden Retrievers, which are the most popular breeds, I think, still. In the United States, they don't win at Westminster. Yeah, neither breed has ever won Best in Show at Westminster, and neither breed has gone <sighs> Best in Show at the National Dog Show, which has a little shorter history, but still. How? Um, Why? Why? What's that? You yeah. know, I, I think it's a lot of it is their personality. I think you know terriers are the most successful breed at Westminster. They've won more best than anything else. Mm -hmm. But terriers, it's the nature of their job to look for trouble. So they're always up on their toes looking around and, and everybody's there to see them, you know, and they know that. And Goldens and Labs, they're such great people, dogs. They're always looking at their handlers and say, what are we going to do now? Say, that was fun. Let's do something else. But it's not quite the same as being up on their toes and being looking around. Terriers don't care who's on the other end of their leash. No. And the Goldens, they want to see who's back there and let's go do something. So right. They love everybody. Oh. The dog you're talking about was a dog named Daniel. And he won the group at, at the National Dog Show, too. And then he won the group at Westminster a couple of years ago. I talked to his handler. She sent me a picture of him, eight years old, sitting in a chair with his white face. 
And oh, my, the NBC crew for the National Dog Show was nuts for that breed, and yeah. and everybody just threw stuff down and yelled when he didn't go best in the show. But yeah. but my God, they're the greatest dogs in the world. Yeah, all dogs, all all dogs are great. I think. Well, that's true. It's the old yeah. saying that everybody thinks they've got the best dog, and they're all right. Yeah, yeah. Once again, we're talking with the man who is probably the most recognizable person in the entire world when we're talking about dogs and dog shows and everything dog, David Fry. Another thing you said, David, a couple of things I remember. Don't worry so much about what you can teach your dog. Learn what you can learn from your dog. Well, that's what we say. And that leads us into therapy dogs. We're going to get into that in another session. Tell us some really cool, crazy behind the scenes story that nobody knows about. Well, here's one. One year we had a wedding at Westminster down in the grooming area with an owner and a handler and her husband. And the dog stood up for them, for the guy at the wedding. And my then wife, who was a Catholic chaplain, performed the marriage. And (laughs) so that was a madhouse. When we go out with that dog on the day after the dog show, we do everything. We do Good Morning America and the Today Show and The View and you name it. You know, it's in the green room. The stars are all sitting around in the green room and every everybody from the staff is down there to hang out with the stars and talk to them. Well, we walk in with the dog. They all leave the star and come over to the dog. Yeah. And the Good star, choice. I mean, Hugh Grant sits there and looks, stares at the dog like, I'm Hugh Grant. Where are you going? <laughs> so it's fun. And it's fun to see everybody react to the dog because, first of all, in that world, they don't get a dog every day. But when they do, they want to see what the dog is like. And we walk down the streets in New York the day after the show, and people are yelling at us, yelling at the dogs. They say, James, you can be my dog. Come on, come to lunch with me. <laughs> yeah, dogs are the best they are the best they do so much for us and do so much for their people so we love the dogs but the people see we don't get to see much of the people because they kind of scoot out there in their weird little flat shoes the ladies you know scoot, scoot <laughs> that little that you have to practice that little running scooty run thing we see that part of the person you know their legs and a little bit more but behind the scenes this is high stakes Lots of prep, years of breeding, all the fluffing and floofing and backcombing. So what are the people like back there? Do they not make eye contact with each other because, you know, they're all so focused? Would they dare to think about giving another dog an X-lax so they couldn't perform? I mean, what's, is there any like nastiness going on back there? What I want to know about the people, what they're doing. No, you know, you've heard, you hear stories about that happening in the past, but I haven't seen anything like that happen uh, in my time with it. But in old the old days, every once in a while, you'd hear some funny story about something happening back in the grooming area between competitors. But I think everybody has such great respect for everything that goes on these days with the dogs. And how we're all in this together. We've fought a lot of battles in the legislative world, you know, for for the rights of of pet owners and dogs. And I think it kind of brings us together. It's become a great social circle for me. My greatest friends have come to me, if not directly in the dog show world, but because of the dogs and because of the dog shows. And I think we're all family. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we compete like hell when we're in the ring. We compete against each other. But when it's over, let's go to dinner. Let's talk about have you ever seen that bitch move from behind? And, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. It's funny. You go to lunch with dog show people and you're sitting around the table and all of a sudden, then one quiet moment and somebody's talking about another dog, talking about a dog, they'll say something like that. Have you ever seen that bitch move from behind? Or, <laughs> I hate that bitch. And the server then is standing there and looks at you like, what? <laughs> yeah, didn't NBC slap you on the wrist one time when you said bitch on the air? 
You know, um, when I was doing Westminster, it was on the Madison Square Garden Network and USA Network. And then we talked, we threw the word bitch around a lot. We're talking about a female dog. And it's true. And I used to joke about it. I said, I got the greatest job in the world. I can say bitch anytime I want to. And, (laughs) and, And we use it a lot there. But here we go. Now, maybe the first year, I think it was on NBC, being on Thanksgiving Day. You know, great family holiday. I don't even think about it. I'm t- and I throw the word bitch out there talking about a dog somewhere. And I get a little tap on my shoulder. And it's one of the executives. He says, says I know how it was for uh, those other networks. But now you're in front of 20 million people on NBC on Thanksgiving Day. He says, we don't use the word bitch. Okay. Oh, God. That's amazing. Another thing you said to me when I was, I felt guilty many times when I had to leave my dogs at home when I went to work. And I felt terrible about it. And you said to me, your dog doesn't know the difference between five minutes and five hours. Now, I didn't believe you then, and I'm not sure I believe it now, but (laughs) a sense of time with these amazing creatures. Do they know time? I don't think they do, because remember, dogs probably sleep 22 hours a day. Mm -hmm. That's true. So I don't think their, their calendar or their clock is quite the same as as you might think, and as we might anthropomorphize it to be. But I think that's what makes them so great. Now, when they're younger and they're growing up, you got to be careful about doing that because they might learn some bad habits and you might not be a good neighbor if you leave your dog there and the dog's not happy about it. But yeah, I think everybody's got their own dog and they know what's good and what works and what doesn't work with their dog. I think we all want to spend all our time with our dogs. There's no question. Yeah, there's times where maybe you got to go to church or you got to go to the daughter or you got to do something where the dog just isn't going to come with. Let's remind you, we're talking with David Fries. He is the co-host of the National Dog Show since 2013. I've created a monster in my home, David, because I have a lab that has not been away from either of its humans since it was eight weeks old. So we literally have a dog that cannot be left alone. I think it's hopeless, don't you? It's too late. He's nine years old. I don't think it's helpless. No, no hopeless. nine years old. No, no way. Give them toys. Give them good toys to play with, and toys that keep them occupied a long time. And I, you know, wear them out. You know, a tired dog is a good dog. Yeah, <laughs> hard, dog. hard, hard to wear Baxter out. I guess I'm not sure how to phrase this question. It's not that we don't love cats too, and all animals, and you and I both love horses, and Penny does too. But there's something about the relationship between humans and dogs it goes back a long time it really does and now we see the science behind it but it used to be that we know intuitively that when we interact with our dogs we feel good yeah so david fry thank you as always for being the animal lover you are we're going to close out this podcast but we're going to have another chat with david fry on a mission very near and dear to his heart which is therapy dogs the the magic they work in the world thank Thank you you, david David. (laughs) thank you ladies (laughs) julie i just want to thank you for being good friends with david fry so we could get him on our podcast because that was just wonderful i just love that guy yeah what's not to love Mm -hmm. he's he's a dog's best friend and that voice (laughs) the voice the voice of (laughs) westminster the voice of the national dog show yeah a calming smart funny voice and a pretty handsome guy too. I might Yes, add. he is. He definitely is. Well, listen, we have part two of David Fry coming up. 
Yes. So another chat where he talks about his amazing therapy work with dogs. Mm -hmm. So tune in, try to listen to that and you can check us out on Facebook and Instagram. We're a couple of dusty muffins. And a special shout out to Clem Daniels, a couple of dusty muffins production guru extraordinaire. <laughs>